Lord, our prayer this morning is that people can be sure. They can know a Savior. And know that that Savior is Jesus Christ. Lord, as we turn to your word, we just pray that you would speak. Lord, I pray that these words would not be from man, but that they would be from God. So would you just meet us into this place? We pray for your presence. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you have your Bible device, however you read God's Word, take it out. And this morning we're going to turn to the book of Romans. So this morning we're going to go away from the book of Luke again and we're going to look at a few verses in Romans chapter 1. So turn to Romans chapter 1. If you were here last week, last week I preached a sermon Basically about our kids and the future of our kids. Last week I referenced a research project that Barner Research had done over the past few years. It was a research project about Generation Z. Generation Z is that group who have born from 1999 to 2015. So basically it's the group of Americans, our kids, who are roughly from the ages of 3 to 18 in that age group. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but there was so much information there. And If you've not read that, I encourage you just to go out and Google Generation Z, Barna, and that research project will pop up. But I guess the statistic out of that whole study that just kind of haunts me is the stat that they came up with, and it's a statistic that says this. It says, out of that generation, which there's 70 million in America, by the way, 70 million 3 to 18 year olds. But out of that 70 million, only 4% have a biblical worldview. That means they see the world through the lens of Scripture. That means only 4% of them really believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. So that means 96% of our kids, our students, they don't believe the Bible. That's roughly 67 million, by the way. And so in all honesty, I guess the fruit of that statistic was bore out last Wednesday. Because we all saw with our own eyes what happened in Parkland, Florida. Like me, you probably turned on the TV or went to your device, computer, whatever, and you looked at the coverage. You heard politicians and pundits who were trying to make a name for themselves talk about what had happened and why. That afternoon when I got home, I turned on the television, and it just so happened the TV was on Fox News. Shepard Smith was on. He was talking about 
what happened in Parkland, Florida, and he was talking about the other 25 shootings that have happened since Columbine, school shootings, in 1999. This is what he said. He said, we have all the resources in the world, and we can't figure out why this happens in our country. He said, it's time to forget politics and partisanship, and we need to work together to solve this deadly problem. Why can't we put the best and the brightest together to research and figure out to help stop what is happening? Now listen to what he said. Why don't we put the brightest together in research? Why don't we throw money at it? Why don't we let the politicians quit being politicians and do what they're supposed to do? That's his solution to this problem. That's what the world says will make it all better. And I just want to scream at the TV and say, what is wrong with you? Can you not figure out that what we need is Jesus Christ? I mean, how can you be so blind? But then I realized, that's what the Bible says it will be like in the last days. He says, people's hearts will grow hard and cold. He says it will be as if they are blind, like they have scales over their eyes. So reality is, they can't see. Why? Because they don't believe this book anyway. So how in the world could they ever realize that we need Jesus Christ and He is our only hope? Their solution is money and research. But we who know God know there's only one hope. Have you ever wondered why we don't hear about school shootings or kids killing kids in any other part of the world? Have you ever wondered why there's not news reports from Europe or China or Iraq or Africa or wherever about a child walking into a school and killing 17 kids? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it in America? As I watched and as I read all of that this week, there was one scene that I can't get out of my mind. And it was a picture of a mom who had a daughter in that school in Parkland, Florida. And I think we have a copy of it. But obviously, if you look at this picture, this mom is coming and seeing her daughter for the first time after that shooting. And we don't know the story, but it's pretty obvious. She probably went a period of time, maybe minutes, maybe hours, not knowing if her daughter was one of the 17 who died. And this is their first embrace. What I want you to look closely at, if you can see it, is the forehead of that mom. Because on her forehead is the symbol of the cross. Because you see, last Wednesday, Valentine's, was actually Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday is the holy day of peace in the church. 
And people who celebrate Ash Wednesday, usually more liturgical than their faith, what they do is they go to church and the churches save the palm branches from the year before on Palm Sunday and they burn them on Ash Wednesday. And then they take, the priest takes his finger and dips in the ash and then marks the symbol of the cross on the forehead. And then you repeat these words, repent and believe. And Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent, which marks six weeks before Easter, our celebration of Easter. And Lent, that whole season, that six weeks leading up to Easter, is a time of repentance. Obviously, this mom went to church that morning, the holy day of peace. She said the words, repent and believe. If there have ever been a time in America that we need those words, it's today. And this morning, I just want you to see why. So I want you to look at Romans 1. And I want to read to you words that honestly I don't like. But this is the word of God. And I want you to hear what he says. So I'll just read a few verses. Just look at verse 28. This is what the Bible says. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to do their foolish thinking. And He let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promise. They are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And we're not going to read it all, but if you go read all of Romans 1, it is amazing the resemblance that these words written 1,900 years ago, have to our society, to our day in the 21st century. Despite all of our claims of enlightenment, becoming more reasoned and more knowledgeable, despite all our wealth and all our prosperity as a nation, we look eerily similar to the Romans that lived almost 2,000 years ago. A place that was full of every kind of sin and wickedness and debauchery. And in these verses, three different times, God says He abandoned them. This morning we're going to talk about a doctrine You don't really hear anymore in our day. 
It's the doctrine of God's wrath. Now, we would much rather talk about God's love and God's mercy and God's goodness and faithfulness and all the things we like to talk about. But when we look at the whole counsel of Scripture, we need to look at the whole counsel of Scripture, everything that it says. And throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, especially into the book of Revelation, you read and you hear about the wrath of God. God's judgment towards sin. His punishment of sin and why He must do it. I know the church today doesn't want to talk about that. They would rather talk about God's love. They would rather tell you that God's love trumps all. But the fruit of that type of preaching is this. People believe, well, God's love, and since He loves me, in the end, no matter what I do, no matter what sin I commit, no matter how many times I turn from Him, no matter if I trust Jesus Christ or not, in the end it'll be okay. And because God loves me, He'll say, okay, I'll let you slide by, come on in. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. It says the opposite of that. It says, if you do not give your life, every bit of it, wholly to Jesus Christ, and turn from your sins, and turn to Him for salvation, it says, you will not be saved. And if you are not be saved, then you will experience the wrath and the judgment of God for eternity. That's what hell is. And if you don't believe me, go read Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels. Twice as many times he talks about hell in the Gospels as he talks about heaven. And here in our verses in Romans 1, we see the judgment and the wrath of God. So often when we think about God's judgment, what we think about is we go back to the Old Testament and we think about fire falling from heaven and coming down and consuming a people like it did in Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of a flood like in Genesis 6, the days of Noah. We think of the Egyptians and God sending an angel to kill, wipe out all the firstborn. That's what we think when we think of judgment and wrath. But more times in the Bible, when God judges and when God punishes sin, He doesn't do it by sending fire from heaven. He doesn't do it by sending an angel to kill the firstborn. All He does is He lets us go our own way. He abandons us. And what happens is He takes His hand off of us. He takes His hand of provision and blessing off of us. And all we do is live in the consequences and the fruit of our sin. And that's punishment. That's judgment. And if you don't believe me, just look around our nation. Look at how far we have fallen. Look at the 25 school shootings since 1999 and the 54 mass shootings in the last 17 years. We are just simply living in the consequences of our sin. And God has led us. But here's the most wonderful thing about Scripture. There is a purpose to that. God abandons us with hopes that we will return. He lets us get to the depths of our sin. 
in hopes that we will see how vile and wicked we are and we will turn to Him and we will turn to Him for salvation. Even in God's punishment and judgment and His wrath for sin, there is always a redemptive element to God. He always wants to redeem us and save us and heal us. But the problem, so many people never get to that point where they realize who they are and who God is and their need for Him. So then they spend eternity in complete and utter separation from God. I want you to see in Scripture God's redemption. If you go back to the Old Testament, almost 3,000 years ago, there's a city in the Old Testament the Bible mentions named Nineveh. You find that city in the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is only four chapters, one of the smallest books in the Old Testament. But it's my favorite book in the Bible. And we all know the story. We know about the prophet or the old preacher named Jonah. And he's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. He was a good preacher. He was a good prophet. He spoke for God and he spoke to the nation of Israel. And so one day the Bible says in the first part of Jonah that God comes down to him and he says, Hey, Jonah, I got a message for you to preach. And Jonah says, Give it to me. I'm ready. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach my judgment against that city. And Jonah says, no, thank you. You don't want to go to Nineveh. And so the Bible says he turns and he actually goes the opposite direction. He goes down to the port of Joppa. He gets on a boat toward Tarshish and he heads the opposite way from Nineveh. Tarshish was in Spain, literally the ends of the earth in Jonah's day. You could not travel any further on this earth than where he was trying to get. He was trying to run from God. Of course, you know the story. God sends a storm and that storm rocks the boat. And so the sailors on that boat eventually throw Jonah off. And he just thinks he's going to fall down to the depths of the sea and die. But God sends a fish. A big fish. And that fish swallows Jonah up. And for three days and three nights, Jonah is in the belly of that fish. And finally, on the second day, he comes to his senses. And he starts repenting and praying that God would forgive him. And he says, God, if you'll just get me out of this fish, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it just so happened, God spits him out right on the shores of Nineveh. And reluctantly, Jonah preaches. He still didn't want to do it. But he goes and preaches God's message. And his message was eight words. An eight-word sermon. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Eight words. Jonah preached it throughout the city. A city of 600,000 people. He walked around and this is all he said. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That's all he preached. Everywhere he went. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And guess what happened? The people of Nineveh listened. And not only did they listen, they humbled themselves and they got on their face before God and they prayed that He would forgive them. And guess what God did? He forgave them. Listen to what the Bible says in Jonah chapter 3. This is the king of Nineveh speaking. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger. So that we may not perish. When God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. What happened next is the greatest revival in the history of the world. Billy Graham never saw a day like this. 
neither to Billy Sunday or D.L. Moody. This was the greatest revival in history. 600,000 people got on their face before God and repented, and God saved them. An entire city. This would be like me going to Chicago and preaching an eight-word sermon and the whole city getting on their face and repenting before God. That's what this was like in Jonah's day. The only problem is they forgot about God. They forgot about His forgiveness. They forgot about His mercy. They forgot who God was. They didn't tell their children about God. And in just two generations, Nineveh was as wicked and as vile as it was before. So God sends another prophet named Nahum. And Nahum goes and he preaches the exact same message, basically, that Jonah preached. Here's what he said. He said, God is going to prepare a grave for you because you are wicked. Pretty much the same sermon Jonah preached. The only problem is they didn't listen to the prophet Nahum. They never repented. They never turned to God. And God did what He said. He destroyed them. Sometime you ought to go read that whole prophet Nahum and what he says about God. Because he tells us who God is. Yes, is He a God of justice? Yes, will He judge sin? Of course He will. Because He says He will. And if He didn't, He wouldn't be God. But listen to what else the Bible says in Nahum. Nahum 1.3, Nahum says this, The Lord is slow to get angry, but His power is great, and He never lets the guilty go unpunished. Oh, thank God He is slow to angry. Peter says something very similar to that years later in the New Testament. Second, Peter 3.9, Peter says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Listen to me, there are some of you in this room who need to thank God for 2 Peter 3.9. You need to thank Him that He is a patient God and that He is slow to being angry because you are the ones that He is being patient for. You're the one that needs to get on your knees and repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you. He is a patient God. For a long time, I believe God has been sending preachers and He's been sending His Word to our nation. Unless you repent, You're going to be destroyed. Now my fear. Is that we're the Nineveh in the book of Nahum. Not the Nineveh in the book of Jonah. You see we know what it is to be blessed by God. We as a nation know what it is to be forgiven to be protected, to be sustained by God. If you don't believe it, just go read our history. But just like the Ninevites, we forgot. Just like the Ninevites, we haven't told our kids about His goodness like Psalm 78 tells us to. 
And just like the Ninevites, we are wicked and evil. So I believe because God is patient and God is slow to angry that He is giving us another chance to repent and to come to Him. How many more chances will we have? I don't know. We can only tempt God so many times. So what does that mean for us in this room? What does that mean for this church in the day in which we live? I just want to give you four things to take away. Four things that you need to do for you and your family. Number one, I want to say this. To every person in this room, no matter who you are, no matter how many times you've been in this place, you need to make sure of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to make sure that you are a child of God because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus and nothing else. You need to make sure of that. Listen, the Bible talks about many places, by the way, that there are going to be many people who sit in church pews just like this and they're going to stand before Jesus Christ and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, but Jesus is going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. If you don't believe me, go read Matthew 7. Listen to me, sitting in a church is not enough. Saying a prayer is not enough. Walking an aisle is not enough. Even being baptized is not enough. It's giving your life away. Every bit of it, not holding anything back. It's giving it all. And if you don't give it all, then you ain't saved. Listen to me, salvation is about life change. If you were the same the day before you were saved as you were the day after you were saved, I would question my salvation. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, everything changes. Your wants, your desires, your heart. It changes. In that same chapter in Matthew 7, Jesus says, they will know you by your fruit. Listen. An apple tree doesn't produce oranges. A follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of Jesus Christ, isn't going to produce fruit from this world. It's going to produce biblical fruit. Make sure you know that your relationship with Jesus Christ is secure. Once you do that, You need to ground yourself and your family in the Word of God. If you don't give your children something to believe, then there are plenty of people out there who will. Your children need the Word of God. I read a study not long ago, and that study basically said the one determinant that determines whether a child will follow Jesus all of his life is if they know the Word of God when they are young. If they hide the Word of God in their heart, that one thing will help them more than anything follow Jesus Christ. Our kids are in a battle. They're in a spiritual battle that we know nothing about. And we send them out ill-prepared. 
We don't pray Ephesians 6 over them. We don't hand them the Word of God. We don't teach them the Word of God. And they go out and they get their clocks cleaned and we wonder why. Give your family the Word of God. Listen, it's not enough to have your kids in sports and hobbies and then sprinkle in a little religion on the side. It's not enough. Maybe 50 years ago that was okay. But we are living in a different day. In a day where Satan has ramped up his game and he is spreading lies like I have never heard. I love sports. And sports have been a huge part of my life. Listen to me. Your kids better be defined by the Word of God more than a score on a scoreboard. Because those memories of a scoreboard are going to fade. But this will last forever. Give your kids the Word of God. Number three, be bold about your faith. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only hope we have. And for far too long, we have shrunk back in the corner. Rather than standing and proclaiming the gospel, we have shut our lips and watched the world go to hell. It is time to stand and to be bold. And listen to me, there is no better time in history than today. I believe with all my heart that we especially that generation X, they are going to be the last generation before Jesus Christ returns. Just read the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. He's coming. And He tells us what the day is going to be like. And guess what the day looks a lot like? Today. This is the greatest day in history because it's in the darkest hour that the light of Jesus Christ shines the brightest. So it is time to live Isaiah 60 and to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon us. The Bible says there, darkness as black as night will cover all the corners of the earth. But we are to stand, to shine the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if we do that, then even kings will come to see His radiance. Hold with your faith. One day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And is it going to be enough to say, God, I got my family here. My kids are here. I got them saved. They're with me. They're going to be with me in heaven. And you know what God's going to say? What about the others I put in your life? What about your neighbor? What about your boss? What about your brother and sister, your mom and dad? What about them? I gave you opportunity. And I gave you the ability. And I gave you the word to speak. But you remain silent. Speak the word of God with both. Let me tell you one thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest truth in Scripture. If you go read about the doctrine of the wrath of God, one thing you'll discover is that God has already poured out His wrath. He has already judged the world for all of its sin. And He did that when Jesus Christ hung on a cross. 
And for three hours, from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, as Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says the sky drew dark, and then God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. Every sin you've ever committed, every lustful thought, every evil desire, everything we've ever done, Jesus Christ became, the one who knew no sin became sin. For three hours He bore the wrath of God and the judgment of God and the hate of God for sin. And He did all of that so that you could be saved. Every bit of it. But the Bible says you must repent of your sin and believe in Him for that to be a reality. And that's the gospel that we share. We don't have to be judged for our sin. We don't have to have the wrath of God poured out on us. Because if we trust Jesus Christ as Lord, we are safe in that relationship. And we are saved for eternity. That's the gospel. The simple gospel. Proclaim it. And be bold about it. And then one final thing. Pray. Pray. We hear these words every time there's a tragedy in America. This morning, I want you to really hear these words. Listen to what God says in 2 Chronicles 7. He says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face... And turn from their wicked ways. Then, and only then, by the way, will I hear from heaven. And will I forgive their sins. And will I heal their land. You need to look at who God's talking to there. He's not talking to the people out there. talking to the people in here if my people church we need to pray like we never prayed like our kids life depends on it because guess what they do Let's pray. Bow with me, Lord. We come to you this morning in humility. Asking for forgiveness. Lord, this morning I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. Lord, that sin is great. Would you cleanse me? So that I can stand and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that's a prayer for all of us in this place. Not just me. Lord, we're desperate because we've tried everything else. 
Father, today we just want to try you. So please, come. Please move. Please do a new work like you've never done. Lord, let us see things greater than the days of Nineveh. Lord, we don't want to see just a city saved. We want to see a nation saved. Let it start here. Let it start with your people. Humbling themselves. Seeking you. And praying. So Lord, we just give you these moments. And we pray that you would move. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we close, we're just going to close with a time for you to respond to God. Whatever that means. That means you come to this altar and humble yourself on your knees and on your face before God. Come and humble yourself and pray. If you need to stay right where you are and bow your head and pray, you do that. Whatever you do, just get alone with God. Maybe you're the one here today that's not assured of your salvation. Maybe you're the one why God is being patient. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ. Please come to this altar and we will tell you how you can know Jesus. Please, know Him. Eternity depends on it. you need prayer, if you'll come, we'll pray for you. Just respond to God to stand as we worship.